Welcome to the podcast, where you will learn everything you need to be a successful student at any level of academic study. Listen each week as I interview experts, leaders, and students. If you are studying or thinking about it, you will need practical tips, techniques, coaching, and support to help you get finished and be successful. While you're listening, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Links and info are always in the show notes. So join me now as you listen in, learn, take action, and succeed. And a warm welcome to our weekly Learn in Your Lunchtime webinar. And as you can see, we've got a special guest in studio today. Gabby is here to talk about her brand new book, um, How to Write Literature Reviews. So we'll get into all things to do with literature reviews shortly. And if you're doing any kind of research, you really need to uh, have a grasp of uh, the literature in your field. You need to be able to write about the literature in your field. You need to be in engaging with it on a regular basis. And of course, uh, your final report is actually going to have a section on a literature review as well as uh, you know proposals and uh, lots of other writing assignments and projects that you'll be busy with. So just a reminder, my name is Peter Alkmer. Welcome to the Student Success Coach YouTube channel. I'll pop a couple of links uh, in the chat now for you to take action and get lots of value from all the resources that we provide you uh, within the community. But Gabby, let's start with you. And just by way of introduction, how are you doing today? And congratulations on your book. How does it feel to be a published author? Thank you. Hi, Peter. Good afternoon here in South Africa. And hello to all of the viewers. It is so lovely to be here. This is my third time on the Student Success Coach webinar. And every time I leave feeling so energized and excited by the kinds of conversations that we have. So it's always a pleasure to be back here. Um, so as I was just saying to Peter before we connected, I've always wanted to write a book. It was always my dream when I was when I was a little kid, my mom used to drop me at the library, I think, instead of getting a babysitter. So I used to walk around and I used to look at these books on the bookshelf and think like, oh, wow, that is like the pinnacle of amazingness is to have your name on a book. So it was always a dream of mine. And now I'm really happy to have been written about, to have written a book about something that I actually really care about, which is literature reviews. So drawing on a passion, drawing on my expertise as a thesis coach, on my work as an academic and kind of bringing it all together, hopefully into a text that will be really useful for people going forward who are working on their own theses. That's absolutely amazing, Gabby. Well done. And uh, we're certainly looking forward to drawing on that expertise uh, in this conversation uh, during the webinar. And I'd really just ask everybody joining, Pravesh, good afternoon to you. Please, guys, um, just say hi in the chat and uh, ask any specific questions that you've got about literature reviews. Uh, tell us which university you're at, maybe what stage of your studies you're busy with. And um, if you're perhaps busy writing a literature review at the moment, perhaps you've got one due for Monday. Uh, your supervisors are waiting for, for your hard work uh, to materialize into something and you just wanna take advantage of having this expert here with us today to, to ask any questions about uh, literature reviews. So Mashudu, hi. A uh, very warm welcome to you. I've also put the link there for the YouTube channel, so please do uh, just subscribe while you're here and take advantage of all the free resources that uh, we make available to you in the Student Success Coach community. Um, there we go. Somebody actually has a literature review today. <laughs> so I don't know how much you'll be able to get done if you haven't been working consistently uh, towards that deadline. Uh, handle that guy. Um, I don't know how much we can help you, but we'll certainly do our very best, and I presume your deadline is a little bit uh, later today. So, Philippine, uh, hello and welcome. Kanishka, Kutwano, Gugu. Uh, as Gabby said, she's been with us now three times and obviously a very popular guest. So, um, really privileged to have her with us this afternoon. All right. So, let's just see. Gina is studying BA Honor Psychology at UNISA and need to include a literature review in your research report. Absolutely. You most certainly uh, will do. We've got Eliana. Good afternoon. Watching this in preparation for writing our first literature review in a group due in May. Fantastic. Okay, so a couple of months there. And I think what you learned today and the principles, uh, Gabby, will be able to help you with. You can start actually including that uh, in the work that you're going to be doing. Uh, Roan. Um, hello from University of Pretoria. Matamela. My literature review is due in May. So very topical issues that we're dealing with uh, today, Gabby. So let's get right into it. And um, Gabby, I mean, let, let's start because you've got a very successful thesis coaching business. 
And we've spoken about that many times previously. And I guess in your coaching business, you've obviously come across a lot of students and you've realized the importance of writing, you know, good quality literature reviews as part of doing research. So maybe just give us a little bit of the background. What were you trying to achieve with this book? And, you know, as people hopefully will be able to download a copy of it today and uh, support you and rate and review it for you on Amazon. What was the background, you know, in, in the context of your, your thesis coaching business that led to, to writing this book? And what problems were you trying to solve for people uh, that maybe want to pick it up and read it? Okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, P- Peter, can I just check? Are you hearing me fine? I'm lagging a little bit on my side, but... All good. Okay, yep. great. Loud and clear. All right, thank you. Thank you for the question. So I have been running my thesis coaching consultancy probably about two years now. And most of the clients who come to me are these really established people in their field. So I've worked with lawyers, with social workers, with doctors, with um, accountancy, finance people, with artists, literally these people who are highly skilled, highly knowledgeable in their field, really experts. And they've, for whatever reason, they've come back to academia and now they're studying. And so they're these amazing people with incredible skill sets. They can write like lawyers. They can write like um, like accountants. They know how to ma- they master the skill of writing in their field. And yet suddenly they get thrust into this new area of academia and they just have to go off and like do this thing. Here, go off, write this thesis. And I'm often surprised by how little sort of scaffolding is given to them into the process of actually academic writing as a whole. I guess the different requirements of a thesis as well and literature reviews specifically it's like I I heard a quote once I can't actually remember where it was but someone said I heard someone say academic writing is nobody's first language and that really resonated because the way that we write as academics um it's it's so specific there's a funny format to it it's a particular tone we're pulling in all those references we're structuring it in a particular way but you know you're not you don't like come out of the womb just knowing how to do that And yet, for many people, when they're studying, there's that expectation that they'll just be able to, like, do it. So really, my passion lies in making that gap explicit to the people that I work with. So taking all of this, like, academic writing mystery and, like, this thesis magic and going, like, no, actually, there is a way to do it. This is how we do it. Go off and do it. And sometimes by just making those rules and expectations explicit, clear, sharing them with the people that I'm working to, working with, that makes all the difference in terms of allowing them to move through that process successfully because they're smart, capable, and brilliant. They can do it. So it's just about explaining how to do that. And I think if that's kind of my mission, this book fed into that. You know, I, I really am so I'm so excited when people connect with the things that I say. I work with my clients one-on-one, and that's amazing. But I also have I've got a lot of LinkedIn followers who follow me. I, I post on my blog. I've got a YouTube channel. And I so often get comments like, oh, my goodness, that's how you do a methodology section. I didn't know. Thank you so much. Or, oh, now I understand data analysis. You know, and for me to have the opportunity to help somebody to open a door to ease the pain of Lisa's writing for people is just such a – it really is an honor. So I think this book was part of that. And here was looking particularly at literature reviews, which is a section – that I, I really love. I love a good literature review. So I think I was really happy to be able to focus that mission, particularly on this one thing that people grapple with. Um, you know, Peter, I always say to my students, I, I, there's so much I know nothing about. In fact, my students, all, my, students my clients are all um, so knowledgeable in their fields. I know nothing about most of what they say, but I do actually know about this stuff. <laughs> so if this is the information that I get to share with people, then, you know, that's, that's fantastic for me to be able to do that. Excellent, Gabby. Let's dive right in. So we've got a detailed question here from uh, Tichuana Buzi, who says, how did you manage your literature review? Did you use any software? So I guess that's an aspect of managing sources. Um, Let's link that back to literature reviews and sort of what tools maybe that you need as you start thinking about uh, getting into writing up your literature review. So I know that for me, what was completely invaluable was my resource resource management program. I used one called Zotero. I don't know which one you've used, um, Peter, and I'm sure the people we've spoken to, spoken to here, I mean, there are things like um, there's RefWorks, there's EndNote. Someone, my students were telling me about another one yesterday, Overlay or something like that. Um, but for me, that was completely invaluable. 
So Tarot, I'll speak about that because that's the one that I know. You download it, it's for free. And it allows you to create a database of all the sources that you're downloading, that you're engaging with, that you are reading. And it's really helpful in terms of helping you manage your references, so your whole referencing process. So for me, it's invaluable in terms of that. But it's also really useful in the management of the literature that you're reading. Like you can group articles together into subfolders. You can annotate the articles. You can put them, when you put them up into your database, you can tag them so that it's, they're easily searchable. Um, they're, you know, I always say the worst feeling. I've had this a few times. I don't know, Peter, if you've had this too. But when you're busy writing and you just remember, you've got like a moment of remembering something that you read somewhere, but you don't know where it is, you don't know when it was, you just cannot find that source again. So I think for me, the software that I found really invaluable was these referencing management tools, or the Zotero for me, in terms of the organization of my, of my resources. So like I say in the book, those have a quite a steep learning curve. Um, I'm sure with, I mean, I use Zotero every day. I'm sure there's a lot of functionality I'm not engaging with yet, but it's definitely worth the time investment early on to get to know those, to manage them, because it just saves an invaluable amount of time going on late, later. Yeah. Brilliant, Gabby. Thank you. So maybe let's just um, break it down for everybody. And I guess what we're talking about, as Gabby was mentioning, um, the way that you manage all your sources in this database through one of these software tools um, enables you to quickly cite those sources um, in your academic writing. And you would be citing those sources potentially throughout your report. But the literature review section is where you would then probably do a lot of citations, Gabby, and you'd rely on that referencing tool and the ability to annotate those sources and easily bring them into your, uh, your paragraphs and your sentences. But the literature review, really, I suppose, Gabby, let's talk then about more the academic role that it plays um, in research as you go into a field, as you start developing a topic and start understanding what problem you want to solve, etc. Yeah. Let's go through that process then. And we've got people that are busy with literature reviews. Somebody's uh, got a hand one in today. Uh, other people have got theirs due in a couple of months' time. So, Gabby, I mean, talking about the literature review as a piece of work that you have to do, referencing your sources will be useful throughout all your academic writing as well as your literature review. And you need to manage your sources with a tool like that just so that you're more organized. But academically speaking, you know, what is the role of the review what what role does it play in the process of doing research and then how do you approach writing up that literature review in your proposal or your final report okay well let's let's answer the first part of that question first which is what is the literature review actually doing in your in your project um, I always answer this in terms of the literature review being useful on two levels so the first level is for the reader so you've got to realize that your reader does not have your reader might not know kind of where this topic is coming out from. So say I'm writing a paper about how engineers communicate in the workplace. That actually is the paper that I'm writing at the moment. So I can jump into my project and share the findings and do all of that. I mean, that's okay, but it's so decontextualized. It's like one person's one study and like, why is that important or interesting? The literature review, which comes very early on in your thesis, is there to set the scene for the reader in terms of why what you're, you've gone off to research is of relevance. So I always like to imagine it as a conversation. Like all of us academics around the world, we are having conversations around important topics. Those conversations come out in the things that we publish and the research that we do. But you know, there's someone in Paris looking at how engineers communicate and there's someone in Chwane looking at how engineers communicate and there's someone in I don't know, Bali looking how engineers communicate and they're publishing their findings and we're all reading each other's work and feeding off of it and creating more knowledge from each other. Now me, when I come to write my paper, I need to say, what are those people actually saying about this topic? Like what's already been said? What is going on here in terms of this topic? Really, it's about laying the foundation for the rest of the study so that you know, it doesn't come out of nowhere, but so that you're reporting on the conversations that have be already been had around your topic. So that's that's the one thing that the literature review is doing. It's setting the stage. It also plays an important part in that. It plays an important part for you as a writer in terms of justifying the relevance of your study. Because if I go and I look at the conversations around how engineers communicate in the workplace, 
I might actually end up reading that like 10 people have already written this paper. So there's mm. no point in actually doing it. And that as a reader will point to me, sorry, as a writer will point to me that I need to change the focus of that topic. However, I might go off and do some reading and then actually realize that, yes, you know, different authors have written about A, B, and C. But no one has actually looked at D. I'm looking at D, so my study is really relevant. So it also serves that role in terms of giving you a way to locate your study within the world of literature and within all these things that are being published around the world all the time in terms of your topic. So I'd say that's what it does in a scholarly way. Um, but then for you, it's also an important thing because, you know, I always think it helpful to think where does a literature review come in a thesis? So, you know, you got your introduction, then you have the literature review, and then you jump into the method. So that literature review for you is an opportunity for you to really set the tone for your reader. It's, it's a chance for you to make a good first impression, right? A good literature review well-written, well-structured, well-organized, says to the reader, cool, this is a good writer. Let me jump in and see what they have to say and how to build on that. So I think that's the, the kind of role that it plays in terms of academically and within the larger piece of thesis writing. Great, Gabby. <clears throat> Thank you. Question there from Tyler. Um, you mentioned the use of academic tone. Can you elaborate a little on that? I've been reading and think of pattern is that that research should speak with a very general voice. Is that right? Can we talk about academic tone, Gabby? Okay, interesting question. Let me jump in, and then, Peter, I'm sure you'll have some stuff to say about that as well. Um, you say a very general voice. I'm not entirely sure what you mean by that, but in terms of voice, what is important about academic writing and academic tone is that in this format of writing, in a literature review, it's not like, I think that blah, 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 blah. And my experience was that something, something, something. And um, I read this, so I think da, 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 da. That kind of the use of the I and the me and the we, we take that out in terms of academic tone. And it's much more, you said general voice, I suppose we could say it's much more um, sort of neutral in a way. So, you know, it might be the study by Noodleman 2022 explains that blah, 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 blah. Um, Alchemist paper highlighted how something something. So yeah, I think general voice. I'm understanding that in terms of saying, um, yeah, we take out the first person out of it and we keep it we keep it kind of neutral in terms of that. Um, also, of course, academic tone is formal language, no contractions, no slang words, um, well formed arguments. Those kinds of things are also important in terms of academic tone. Yeah, what else, Peter? What did I not say there? Gabby, I think, um, you know, the academic tone for me is um, also got a lot to do with your level of confidence um, on a topic. And as you were saying, Gabby, you know, you'll be talking about other sources and the confidence that you have and how well you know those sources and how well you bring them into the argument that you're creating around um, the role they play in understanding the broader landscape of the topic that you're researching um, is something that will improve the more that you engage in those topics. And what I think is very important, and I found in my own PhD, is that the literature review I wrote for my proposal, which was right up at the beginning um, of my four-year uh, research degree, was a lot less confident than the literature review I included in my final report. Um, because I just simply spent a lot more time um, dealing with those issues. And my writing flowed a lot more naturally. Um, my willingness to take a stand, I think, on some of the points of view um, that other researchers had put forward uh, in their writing um, just got better and more mature, I think. Uh, so when I compared the literature review and the quality of writing and the academic tone that we were talking about just now, from my proposal to four years later in my final report, I just saw a higher degree of confidence um, in how I engaged in those subjects and how I actually wrote about them um, in my academic writing. So that's something that you should be looking for and working towards. And I think supervisors will accept that sort of earlier on in your degree, um, you're still entering into the field, you're still grappling with the topics, but you have to have enough uh, academic confidence um, and a strong enough academic voice um, to deal with those um, issues. So good good points there, Gabby. And just can I can I just jump on something you said there? Yeah. 
Um, you spoke about your journey and how it went from, you know, the beginning when you did your proposal to your, you know, when you were finished in your final version of your PhD four years later. I can so, um, I can so resonate with that. And I think the point to take out of that for all the people who are watching this today is that you don't have to, you're not going to have a perfect literature review the first time that you write it. No writing is ever perfect the first time you look at it. I remember a big trap that I fell into when I was putting together my proposal and feeling so overwhelmed was going to look at past proposals that had been passed because I thought that would be helpful in terms of giving me a sense of what, what, what I needed to do. And I just saw these magnificent literature reviews, beautifully formed, strong arguments, paragraphs. And I remember it just completely freaked me out because I was thinking, oh, I'd never be able to do this. Um, and that was overwhelming. And then that led to total imposter syndrome and paralysis and all the things we've all had. Um, and then what I've learned now, finally, I had to go through the process to actually realize that kind of pressure to get it right the first time, it's, it's, it's so debilitating because it means it's impossible. We're never going to get it right the first time. And actually, there's no perfect when it comes to academic writing in general and literature reviews specifically. There's no one right way to do it. So that word you said about being brave enough, you said confidence to take a stand. It's that is so key and that confidence grows over time and will feed into better writing. But it's not there at the beginning. Well, mm. for most of us, it's not there at the beginning. So mm. I think it's about just being brave, <laughs> taking mm. risks, writing words on the page, maybe getting them wrong. That's fine. You can go back, fix them, add more sources, weave them together. You can do all of that work, um, but not to give yourself the pressure of hoping that you're going to get it right the first time. I think this would be really helpful. Fantastic, Gabby. Great points there. Great question here as well from Simon. Um, owing to the importance of the literature review, what key aspects or constituents will comprise a well-rounded literature review? Right. So, I mean, this is not getting into your book in quite a lot of detail, uh, Gabby. So I'd really advise everybody to go and pick up a copy of your book. But let's just talk then about, as you say, when you read other people's literature reviews, it looks fantastic and it looks all well thought through and so on. And they've been through a hundred different drafts. But what are people working towards when they're writing a well-rounded literature review, as Simon uh, asks here? Okay, great question. Thanks, Simon. So I think what you got to remember is what is this piece of writing doing? In, I'm going to say in, in, let's talk about it in a thesis, and maybe sometimes you write it outside the thesis, and that's fine too. But let's talk about it within a thesis. What is the literature review doing here? Okay, well, as we say, as I said before, the literature review is setting the scene for the reader, giving them a sense of the conversations that are going on around your topic in terms of what other people are researching. So then you've got to think, okay, well, I'm writing now my literature review. How do I make sure that I bring together all of those different conversations? How do I organize them? Um, you said aspects or constituents. I like to think about it in terms of structure. Because your literature review, is, of course, is going to have headings, it's going to have subheadings. You're going to have to think, how do you actually organize that? So the most useful thing that I have come across in terms of how to do that is to think about a literature review as having a funnel structure. I don't know why I always have to go like this with my hands when I say it as well. <laughs> so, you know, a funnel starts very wide at the top and then gets narrower, narrower, narrower until something pops out at the bottom, hopefully something delicious. So, you know, that said, if you're writing about a topic, a great structure, not the only way you can do it, but a great structure for your literature review is to begin by looking at the topic quite generally or reviewing what people have said about the topic quite generally and then looking a little bit more specifically and a little bit more specifically and a little bit more specific until whoop, you pop out at your topic. So let's say I'm writing that paper. Let me give you an example. Let's say I'm writing that paper that I mentioned before about how my paper is how professional engineers communicate in South African workplaces. So that's my paper. So if I was writing a literature review for that, and I'm talking off the top of my head here, and my examples often get a bit wacky, so bear with me, everyone. <laughs> if I was writing a literature review for that, I might start very generally by talking about engineering professionalism. So what does it take to be a professional engineer? Then I might zoom in a little bit more, and I might talk about um, communication, competencies for professionals. And then I might zoom in a little bit more and talk about communication competency for engineering professionals. And then I might zoom in a little bit more and talk about engineering communication competencies for, for engineers in South Africa until mm. boop, I pop out at my topic. 
And what's cool about that is what's coming next is the methodology where I talk about how I did my research. But it also makes an awesome link from the literature review into the next section. So that that funnel way of thinking about it is really helpful, thinking let me start general, more specific, more specific, more specific. And that's a great way of ensuring that you cover, I'm not going to say all the ground, because, you know, like I said, there's never a perfect literature review, but that you manage to cover many aspects of the topic that you're interested in. So that's a, that's one of my top literature review tips uh, to share with people. Great. And Debbie, you go, you, go in, you go into more detail about that in your book, I presume. I do, absolutely. I give a couple of examples of how we do it and, um, yeah, just the value of it, actually, what, what you can achieve through that structure. Excellent. I love that idea of the funnel, and I've just put a link to one of the videos on the uh, YouTube channel where I talk about um, the literature review in similar terms, but uh, using a Venn diagram of uh, intersecting circles, which might oh. represent um, a range of different topics uh, that you're interested in. And as you narrow down that funnel, you start to zoom in on the overlaps between the different uh, topics. So like Gabby was saying, you'd have engineering as a broad field, and then you'd have communication as a broad field, and then you'd have South Africa uh, industry perhaps uh, as a broad field. And your interest lies in the intersection of those three. And as you move down Gabby's funnel, um, you start to go into more and more what is the overlapping issues within each of those different topics. Uh, mm -hmm. So in that video that I posted there and in Gabby's book, um, lots of uh, ideas and techniques there for you to improve uh, the process and the approach that you follow um, when going into a literature review. Let's but pick I up think what's, uh, sorry, I keep Maybe. having extra things to say. I get this stuff really excites me. Um, <laughs> I think what is really helpful when you're thinking about how to structure that literature review is to think about your reader. Then they always got to be at the forefront of what you're writing because you're not writing for no one, right? You're writing because you want to get these ideas out in the world. You've done something cool. Now you want to tell people about it. Um, and so like, think about that writer and think, sorry, think about the reader and think, what do they actually need to know first in order for them to understand the next thing? And then what do they need to know in order to understand the next thing? Like, How do you make sure that you're taking them on a journey through that literature review and not just throwing kind of random things at them and forcing them to figure it out? So I think your idea of the intersections is a really valuable one. But I think you also need to articulate what are those intersections as opposed to just assuming the reader will figure it out because they might not. Or they might figure it out but get it wrong, and then your writing is going to be misunderstood. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Gabby, fantastic question here from Mamolete. Um, hello, Gabby. I'd like to know what it means to engage with the literature rather than just dumping information as I write the literature review. So we've sort of been through broad brushstrokes, the funnel and the intersecting circles, but now you're citing these sources, you're bringing them into some sort of argument, etc., um, Gabby, your thoughts on Mamalete's question there? Thank you, Mamalete. Such a great question and one that I see so often as people are working on their literature reviews. All right, so you got to remember that your literature review is doing two things. The first thing that it is doing is that it is summarizing. The second thing, though, that it is doing is that it is synthesizing. So it's got to do those two things. So let's talk about how those things are different. So in terms of summarizing, part of what you do in your literature review is telling us what other people have said. So it might be, you know, you, you Mamalete might have written an article, Peter wrote an article, Gabby wrote an article, and in your literature review, you're wanting to tell the reader what was the information in those different articles. Now, if you just use the word dump there, which I love, if you just dump those into your literature review, it would just read as very like Gabby, Mamalete, Peter, Gabby, done. So that is part of what a literature review is doing in terms of telling us what people are saying. But what that wouldn't yet be doing is the second thing that I said, which is synthesizing. When you are synthesizing literature, you are finding the links between the different things that you're reading. So that, Mamalete, is where you would say something like, okay, Mamalete's article explained that engineers communicate in a, a lot in the workplace. This is similar to what Peter's article said, where he went and he ran a survey with engineers in the workplace. However, in contrast, Gabby found that most of the time, engineers are engaged in technical tasks. 
So can you see what I've done there? I've taken those three sources, but instead of just saying this, that, and this, I've started to weave them together. And that is the critical work of a literature review, where you are showing how things link. Now, things might link in a way that they say something similar. They might link in a way that they say something different. <laughs> they might link in a way that they build on each other's ideas. Maybe one person said something, and then similarly, one person building on that, the other person said something different. Um, maybe you read three things they all say the same thing but no one said the other thing you know that is the critical work of working with literature is finding the links between the different things that you're engaging with so i think that's what i mean when i'm talking about engaging with literature not just reading and summarizing but starting to think how does this relate to the other things that i've seen that i've been reading and um yeah i think that is the that's that's actually the cool work because that's when you are starting to build, do that weaving, build that foundation of how different concepts come together. And that's not only helpful for the reader who will then understand it better, but it's also good for you as a researcher because as you get to understand those things better, it equips you better for the data you go off to collect or for the analysis that you do or the kind of discussion that you come up with when you, when you kind of draw those out. It makes you a better researcher as well. Yeah. Excellent. I think that's my answer. Gabby, we've got a question here from Tully Temba. What's the name of uh, Gabby's book? So I'm going to pop it up there uh, for everybody to have a look. So, um, yeah, let's just talk about your book a little bit there, Gabby. How to Write a Literature Review. I mean, I think that's exactly what um, everybody who's joined today is interested in finding out, and we'll give them lots of value uh, from today's session. And I see there is a question about whether it will be recorded and available on the channel. So, Exactly the same link um, that you use to get here for this live webinar will be the same link you'll uh, be able to access a recording of the book, but a uh, recording of the webinar. Uh, but Gabby, let's talk about your book then. Just what are we looking at here? The title, um, just take us through. I'll scroll down so people can see a little bit more information about it. Okay, awesome. Well, I've called it How to Write a Literature Review, so that's pretty self-explanatory. I've said they're practical strategies for academic newbies. So for people who are new to this whole field of academia, and no one has actually explained to you how to do this thing, but you're expected to do it, that's what my book, the, the gap that my book is trying to plug. And you can see I've said they're practical strategies because everything that I write about is really easy to implement. I write, uh, you know, I was reading it over this morning in preparation, and I was like, wow, this, this is quite good. Because <laughs> it's very like it's very light and chatty. It sounds like me when I talk. Um, so it's easy to understand. Not one of those heavy theoretical texts. Um, I'm hoping that when you read it and engage with it, it'll be helpful for you as well and, and make this whole story a lot easier in terms of you going about doing your literature review writing. Um, I want to just make it not scary. I want you to see how possible it is. Yeah, yeah. And I see Gabby. Just a, a couple of the points we've been talking about today already. Uh, you've been talking about synthesizing literature, so there's a lot more detail on that in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, bringing in your voice, um, all of those that you, you provide a lot more information on. And I do see that you put it on special today, so those of you with a Kindle reader, um, you can, uh, I'll put the link in the chat now, and you can hop over there and download that for free. So, Gabby, thank you very much for providing that to our audience today for free. Um and I would really ask everybody just to write a, a rating and a review for Gabby uh, on mm -hmm. Amazon. I see you've got two there already, which is fantastic. And that'll help Gabby uh, be successful and it'll help lots of other students uh, find her book as well. Yeah. Um, no, all good, Gabby. We're here to support and to help you. And uh, you'll also see a link in there as well about Gabby's thesis starter kit. And I've also put a link to your uh, website, uh, Gabby and uh, if those of you watching today want a little bit more specific help and you want to invest in a, a sort of a bit of a consultation with Gabby, um, I would highly recommend that. Uh, you're already spending you know, a lot and, and, and investing time and effort and money into your degree. Um, and sometimes just having that coaching support is something that can make a huge difference uh, in your success. So I'd really, really advise you to get in touch with uh, Gabby if you need a little bit more help there. Um, Gabby, let's get into a couple more questions. We've got lots coming through on the chat. Um, so Roan asked, and I'll just leave your book up there so that people can see it. Um, you talk in the book about evaluating um, sources and literature, and Roan asked a similar question about identifying the most authoritative authors on your research subject as a starting point um, and building up your review, 
you know, potentially including those authoritative mm -hmm. authors. Just your, your thoughts around authors in the field that have authority and the importance of bringing them into a literature review, Gabby? Um, that's a really interesting question, Ron. Thank you. You say as a starting point, I'm almost going to say you just need to start. You know, I think we can wait for the right time to start and the right place to start and it can get so overwhelming. We don't even find where to start, so we just don't start. I'm a great one for just get going. So I would say if I were you, I would look for articles, academic articles published in um, accredited journals. Now, the whole journal system, if you know anything about it, it's pretty crazy <laughs> in that some and that um, there are a lot of journals out there which we call predatory journals, and they are they want to publish fast, they try to make money, they try to take advantage of readers and of academics wanting to get their work back. And they aren't accredited, which means, what that means is that the article is generally, I'm talking very simplistically here, there's more to it, but, but in broad strokes, it means that that article has not actually been through the checks and balances that an article will go through to get into a more accredited journal. So um, saying the checks and balances. Right, so, so for example, peer review, which is what we need to do as academics when we get our journals published, which means different experts give feedback, we have to fix it, they give more feedback, we fix it again, they reject, sometimes they reject it. In these predatory journals, that whole process doesn't happen. And what that means for us as students is that we can't assume that those are well-researched, well-thought-out articles. So what I would say, coming back to you, Rowan, is go and find a good, strong, accredited journal. So there, you can find the Department of Higher Education and Training has a list that you can access via their website. Otherwise, anything that's under these big publishers like Taylor and Francis, like Emerald, um, can't think of any more off the top of my head, but any of these um, ones that are accredited, should you can assume that the article will be a good source. So my point is find a couple of articles related to your topic in one of the, in an accredited journal. And then actually to find the authoritative authors, you are going to need to go off and actually just read. Because say you have five papers on engineering communication in professional communication for engineers, I might start to read a couple of papers and actually realize that they're all referring to the same person. And then when you start to get that, then you're like, okay, that must be a good name in the subject. And then that leads on the truth, leads you to find the more authoritative researchers. So I would say just jump and start reading and sort of see what happens. I often feel like a little bit of a detective when I'm writing up literature because I, you know, you'll read a paper and then you'll jump in, I'll jump onto the reference list and I'll say, like, okay, who are they referencing? And then I go off and I track down those papers and I read those papers mm. and I'm like, who are they referencing? And kind of like you follow the clues to the thing that works. Um, I'm making that sound quite cool, right? <laughs> so Rowan, I would say, I would say do that. Just jump in and start reading, make, but make sure the sources you're reading are good, credible academic sources. And from there, from there, those will probably lead you towards who the authoritative voices are. And Gabby, question here from uh, that guy who says he's finding it very hard to actually find appropriate articles relevant to my topic. So I would urge you just to listen carefully to uh, what Gabby was saying just now. Um, any article that you have found that bears any reference to your topic, go and look at the articles they reference at the end of, of that article or in that final report. And as Gabby has said, you'll be able to be like a bit of a detective and follow the authors that other authors reference and hopefully that'll give you additional articles uh, that are relevant to your topic but Gabby any advice uh, for this question about uh, struggling to find uh, even relevant articles to include in a literature review? I do have a few things to say about that the first thing that I would say is um, if you are at an academic institution um, go make friends with a librarian <laughs> the subjects have in most institutions the subjects have the, the, the different subjects will have their librarian who focuses on that and my god librarians are amazing <laughs> they can just do like magical things in terms of finding things finding information finding articles for us and they're so helpful i'm literally yet to meet a librarian who's not completely awesome so reach out to your librarian drop them an email maybe call them up and say look i'm studying this i'm really needing to find on this can you help me because they know how to do that that's the one thing i'll say the second thing, which I embarrassingly am not fantastic at, but I know I should be better, is actually using your, if you're with an institution, use their institutional dot library database. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should admit this, but I use Google Scholar a lot just because it's oh, yeah. easy and it's there and it's quick. Um, but that is actually quite limited in terms of what it can access. And if you can take time to figure out how the databases work, how to do a really good search, that's a lot more powerful than just a Google Scholar search. Yeah. But then the next thing I'll say, and I don't know your topic, obviously, but it might just be that you're looking at something very, very niche. And maybe there's not a lot written about that. And mm -hmm. that's actually awesome because that means your research is going to be very interesting. So maybe just think, you know, if you think about that funnel and you think about your thing being at the bottom, maybe just think about widening your search a little bit. Like if I was talking about um, what PowerPoint presentations do engineers use when pitching about bridges, you know, I might not find an article exactly about that because it's very specific. You know, I might just be able to widen it a little bit and look at like visual aids in the workplace. Maybe there'll be some stuff about that. And if I'm finding nothing about that, maybe just wind it just a little bit to look at, you know, oral presentation skills in the workplace. So, yeah, maybe if you're really struggling at the bottom there, start to open up the funnel a little bit and you might be able to find some stuff that's relevant in terms of that. And as you say, Gabby, I mean, that's probably a, a good problem to have. If there's mm -hmm. a lot of research and a lot of articles on your topic already, then it's a well-researched area where you'll struggle to make um, a significant contribution because it's quite well covered. Um, so uh, an important problem to solve, but one that I'd rather have than struggling in a very saturated um, area of uh, research. Um, Nolotanda's got a question there. What exactly does it mean to write analytically within your literature review, Gabby? Okay, so this, I think, I love this question, and it's one that feeds back. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh at Will Lappy's comment there. We'll get there in a minute. So, Nolotanda, I think it's one that feeds back to the word that Peter said earlier, which was courage. And I'll tell you why. I think, I think I'll tell you why I think it relates to that. Um, so when we're starting out as students, and I'm saying we because I remember this so well, you would read a reading and you'd think, a published author wrote this, it must be right. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then you'd read another reading and you'd be like, a published author wrote that, I could never say it better. You read another article and you're like, oh my God, that must be true. And we just kind of take it on face value. But what I've learned over my years of being an academic is that our job as academics is to critique to not always agree with everything. Our job as academics is to find the gaps, is to perhaps question. So, you know, maybe I read a paper and it says that all engineers are very shy of public speaking. And that's what the paper says. I don't actually, maybe that's not, I can read that and think like, oh, that sounds weird. Like, how did they come to that? So then I look and I see the sample, they only actually interviewed 20 people and they were all in the, um, coding department, you know, I can say that's actually not, that's such a very weirdly formatted study and it's not an adequate representation. So when I now want to talk about that in my literature review, I can say something like um, Smith's study showed that, said that engineers were all shy. However, this isn't actually corroborated by the other data. For example, Green explained this and Blue said that. Therefore, so I think what it, what it is about, I think that point about being analytical is being brave enough and having the courage to back yourself in how you respond to the literature. And oh, it takes a really long time to get there. <laughs> it literally took me about, in my PhD, it took me about three and a half, four years until I could say like, no, I'd actually, I'm a clever human with a lot of interesting things to say. Let me actually use this to form my own arguments. So again, you're not going to have it straight away, but you deserve to. You're here, you're in higher education, you're studying, you're writing a thesis, you're writing a literature review, you're a sparky human being with things to say. So I think that being analytical is about having the courage, the bravery, and backing yourself to actually not always agree with what you find in the literature, but of course articulating it in a way that brings in that academic tone that we spoke about earlier. Yeah. Wonderful, Gabby. And uh, <clears throat> we got some fantastic feedback here. Uh, Willapi says the session has been an academic therapy. <laughs> fantastic for a Friday afternoon and gave more insights on how to build and climb the next stairs of academic hierarchy. Well, that's an absolute pleasure. 
Uh, I'm laughing. I'm laughing at that comment because I think I do a good pep talk. <laughs> I think often my my sessions with clients, you know, they might start off being about how to write a literature review, but they often end up becoming life therapy because I really do believe these theses. This is not all, all the academic writing that we're doing. It's not. It's not the only thing that's going on in our lives. We are balancing it with so many other things. You know, we've got families. We've got jobs. We've got trying to like drink eight bottles, eight glasses of water every day and also doing exercise and also showing up for our friends. And, you know, our thesis, it, it has to, we have to find a way to fit it in with all those other things that we're doing. Um, plus all our feelings as well. So we're lucky. I think there's a lot of therapy involved in the whole thesis writing process. <laughs> and absolutely, just book some time with Gabby, you know, if you'd like to invest in her thesis coaching and support and more extensive one-on-one -on -one academic therapy uh, would, I'm sure, be absolutely very useful. Gabby, a question that I get uh, quite a lot is the one that's up on the screen there. Um, you know, how many citations should you have um, in your literature review or how many sources should you have in your universe as you're going through a postgraduate research um, degree just give us a sense from a, a numbers point of view. And I always say there are no absolutes. It's always a little bit more about quality than quantity. But perhaps in your experience, what are some ranges, if you like, of the number of sources and citations and articles and uh, published literature that you should be including in your literature review? Oh, gosh, Peter, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that with a number. I'm sorry. I don't know how to quantify that. But what I can say is that you got to think to yourself, have I drawn on enough sources here to give an adequate representation of the previous and the past research, and I guess current research in my topic? Like, can I honestly say that I have included enough sources here, or I have read and engaged with enough sources and articulated it to the reader that they can honestly get a sense of the conversations that are going on in my field? Remember, I used that word earlier. Um, and a conversation is not going to happen with just one person and it's not going to happen you know even just with two people you want to explain you want to do that synthesizing work in terms of you know this person said that however that person said that similarly it built on the idea of that you need to do that is that teasing together work um and if you've only got a handful of sources you can't do that you can't do it and you can't adequately claim to the reader that you've done it so yeah, there we go. But it looks like you got a good answer. Yeah. So I've shared this video in the chat. And uh, this is just some thoughts that I provided in one of many videos that you get on the YouTube channel, where I talked about the number of references that I included in my thesis, um, which was 169. And um, I've heard from a librarian, you know, as Gabby has said, make friends, they'll be very helpful to you. Um, in your broader universe of uh, literature that you're engaging with, you should probably have about a thousand um, references potentially in your uh, referencing software. And then aim, as I've said there, for you know, a couple of hundred um, that you then want to list in your thesis. Um, and more specifically, I talk about the literature review there. And um, you know, again, it's, it's very much more the emphasis should be on quality um, but, um, you know, if you think about a paragraph and as Gabby was saying, um, analytically synthesizing multiple articles, if we go back to the example that she used, maybe it's her article, my article and somebody else's article, let's say those are three sources in a paragraph, you synthesizing and doing a little bit of summarizing of them. Um, you know, you could quite easily cite all three of those within a paragraph. And if you've got two or three paragraphs on a page, um, you know, that's maybe four or five citations per page. You know, you can work out then, roughly speaking, what you would be aiming for. Um, but watch the video there and have a look and see if that uh, provides any um, useful information. And uh, Ilya says, very insightful. Thank you very much there. Um, so, Gabby, really appreciate, uh, you know, your insights uh, this afternoon. Um, James Disulwani asks, is a background study the same as a literature review? So maybe let me just give a couple of thoughts. Uh, Gabby spoke earlier about how um, the methodology comes after the literature review. Now, before the literature review is your introduction. Um, and sometimes in your sort of background and introduction of the broader topic, 
you know, that's where you might talk a little bit more generally about um, a research that's done more broadly and that people might be more aware of. But Gabby, let's talk about then the background leading into the more detailed and specific narrowing of the funnel in the literature review, uh, the link between the background and the actual literature review. Um, interesting question. I, I think you, you might have some background to your topic in the literature review. I don't think it would be under the heading background to the topic. You know, if the background to my topic is about um, workplace competencies for engineers, then I might have a section in my literature review called workplace competencies for engineers because that's giving the reader useful background information that's going to help them understand the stuff that comes lower in the funnel. However, it's the background to the study if it's like, um, talking about, I don't know, what led to me wanting to write that study, for example, again, a bit simplistic, but if it's that kind of background, that I would rather put in the introduction, I think. Yeah. Very helpful there, Gabby. Thank you. Um, we've had a couple of questions just about referencing again and tools. So I've added a link to a course there I teach about using EndNote and Google Scholar and Microsoft Word, there's a couple of tricks that I teach there to save you lots of time when doing citations. And just to come back to the point that Gabby made around Google Scholar, Google Scholar is useful just to get a broad perspective of the sources out there. But like Gabby said, you need to go into the academic databases to do proper research um, on individual sources. But Google Scholar certainly gives you enough metadata um, and you can then use that metadata or the title or the author to go and search on the academic databases. Uh, and there's quite a nice trick that I teach you in that course uh, to set up the references in your uh, reference library. And of course, I teach EndNote, so it might be slightly different for the tool um, that uh, you're using specifically. And welcome to Tracy, uh, also another regular uh, on our webinar. It's great to have you with us today, Tracy. And yes, I agree. Absolutely. What a fantastic session. Uh, absolutely wonderful and generous offer from Gabby uh, to provide uh, her book there. Gabby, any last thoughts? I'm just quickly browsing back to your uh, book here. You talk about what does the literature review do, how to approach your literature review, what could look like sourcing, evaluating, managing literature, reading, synthesizing literature, any last words of advice or something that comes up regularly in your consultations with students that you're helping to do a literature review uh, that perhaps we haven't covered um, this afternoon? I do I do have something nice. But just before I do that, I know we're ending. Can we just quickly answer Julia's question because she's answered it twice and I'm sure we can, I'm sure we can uh, get it. Julia, yes, I'll stick it up. Oh, here we go. Is it this one? Is it advisable to quote the same author in different paragraphs or should one limit doing that? Go for it, Gabby. I will just say it's not advisable, but if you have to do it, you can do it. But that, that word quote, I think, is one. Just just you don't want to have too many direct quotes. So direct quotes is when you use those exact words in quotation marks. Rather be trying to think like, okay, what is that author saying? How does that relate to what I'm writing? I don't mm. even like the word paraphrase because that makes people want to like just take the quote and then change every fourth word and then put it in. It's not that. <laughs> You're really thinking critically, what has that author said? and then weaving that into your text in your own words. Quotes are okay if the author has said something like completely magnificent and perfect and seminal and you can't say it any other way than a direct quote is okay. But I think you'll find for most of the direct quotes you use, it's actually not that amazing. So in that case, much better to put it in your own words. So thanks, I just wanted to, just wanted to answer Julia's question. But, but sorry, Peter, going back, in answer to your question, I think something to remember is that your job as a writer is to walk the reader through that literature review. And part of that is a nice strong introduction that says like, hello, this is my literature review. Here's what I'm going to be covering. Then those sections that you're going to be covering and you're the one who has to lead the reader from section to section. Something like, you know, having considered engineering competency in general, this section now moves on to focus particularly on communication competencies. That little, a little sentence like that is doing such amazing work in moving the reader from one section to the next section. So you would like all of those between your different sections, actually making the logical shift for the reader from section to section. And then a nice conclusion again at the end, short, but something that just ties it all together and gives the reader a sense of what it is that you were covering, what you covered in that literature review. Let me also say thank you for sharing that video that you shared 
from your YouTube channel, but to say I talk a lot, a lot more about these things on my YouTube channel as well, which is mythesiscoach.com. And in particular, I think one video that your viewers will find helpful is the one on reading and how how to, I was laughing at Tuttle's comment when he said, um, when they said, you said 100, and, sorry, it was that guy, sorry, he said, 169 sources, Peter. I guess I have another 150 to go. <laughs> um, you know, there are different levels of reading. And and I talk about that more in a video on my YouTube channel. So in answer to that question, I think you might find that helpful. Brilliant. And I've got your website up there, uh, Gabby, uh, my thesis coach. And I have put it in the uh, chat and it's up on the screen right now. So head over to mythesiscoach.com. And you can see there Gabby's um, YouTube channel that she mentioned about just now. So lots of fantastic videos there. So please do go and subscribe to uh, Gabby's YouTube channel. I think you've also got a Facebook group. Um, and I often post from your group uh, and share, you know, lots of valuable posts um, into the Student Success Coach group. But please do go and uh, join Gabby's group there. Contact her if you need sort of more uh, specific individual coaching. It really will be an investment uh, worth your, your time and money. And then, as you mentioned, the thesis uh, starter kit, and uh, maybe just touch on that, Gabby, because I see that you've, um, you know, been quite vocal about this. So just talk about what you offer with the thesis starter kit. Sure. So this is really for people who are suddenly thinking, oh, I have to write a thesis. What even is that? And it's a very short course. It's about maybe an hour to take of your time. Um, with a couple of modules to get, just get you set on the path towards working on a thesis. So I focus particularly on defining, helping you find a topic or kind of encouraging you towards thinking, what would you like this to be about? I focus a lot on research questions, which my coaching clients will know is something I feel really strongly about. So helping you articulate your questions and then thinking, what do those mean for what kind of study this actually is? And talk about some of those sort of fundamental thesis skills that you're going to need on this journey. So it's really just about kicking you off, setting you off, and hopefully giving you some points. Oh, I also cover very importantly what actually goes in a thesis and how mm. those things related to each other. So if you're at the beginning of this journey, and like I told you right at the beginning, how my passion is really making all these like hidden processes and knowledge understandable to people who are new in the process. So if, if you are one of those people, I think you'll find a lot of value from my thesis starter kit, short kit, short course. Fantastic. No, wonderful. And I'd urge everybody to go and sign up and take advantage of all these resources and get in touch with Gabby as you need to. I think we've got time for one or two more questions quickly, Gabby. So Norm Zamo says, uh, let's talk about thematic versus chronological approach. And I guess specifically to a literature review, Gabby. Okay, I'll tell you what I think, Peter, and then you jump in. I mean, I'm not familiar with these words as such. But I assume a thematic approach is kind of what we've been talking about so far. When you think, like, what are the themes that are coming out in my literature? Um, and you organize your literature review according to those. So, like, engineering competencies, communication competencies, engineers in South Africa. So those would be themes. I imagine a chronological approach is more saying, okay, what happened from 1910 to 1930? What happened from 1940 to 1960? What happened from 1960 to 1970? So I imagine that a chronological approach is more like providing a time-based survey of what happened or what people have been saying in the field about that topic. I don't see a lot of those in the literature reviews that I work with, but there might be fields where that is really appropriate and important. So maybe if you, you're looking at a topic that has changed a lot over time, and your point is that it's changed a lot out of time, then maybe that structure would work well. I yeah. think you've got it, Gabby. Absolutely. I think it's just a different way of listing and working through um, the literature that you want to cite and to engage with um, in your literature review. And um, chronological, um, you know, maybe just a, a word of caution. Um, you know, you've got to find the right balance between the most recent, most topical, um, most up-to-date sources uh, versus sometimes the more authoritative sources from the sort of more established authors that might be from a few um, years ago. But that uh, chronological approach alone, I don't think is going to give you the richness uh, of the arguments that you're trying to uh, bring across in your literature review. So in my literature review, for example, I followed a thematic approach. And, um, you know, the big sections of my literature review were around the big themes or the big circles, if you like, that I talked about. 
um, and the sort of overlaps between those themes. And then within the individual themes, I did bring in a bit of chronology uh, mm. to say that previously people believed this, if you look at this, this, and this work, and then more recently they believed this, this, and this, and then more recently the established and up-to-date work is this, this, and this. So, so sometimes you want to have a bigger thematic um, pattern, if you like, to a literature review within which I think a bit of chronological um, discussion could be uh, quite useful. Yeah, same. I did the same thing in mine. Well, there we go. Then I guess it worked. So fantastic. Gabby, um, we'll let you go now, but uh, good luck with the book. And uh, I want everybody to go and download it, uh, read it, take advantage of it. Um, Gugu says, uh, Pambile says, thanks for the session. Gugu says, thanks for the session. Um, and Semin says, a million thanks. Your wisdom precedes you both. Definitely a pivotal help to us all wandering the grasslands of research. <laughs> Thank you. I know, because, I've been there. We've been exactly. there. <laughs> and, and we are all here to help. And uh, I've put a couple of links to, for example, the Facebook group. Uh, in the chat. So if you do need assistance, Gabby's got a group, we've got a group here on the Student Success Coach uh, community. So do please take advantage of those resources. But Gabby, last thoughts from yourself as we wish you well for the weekend ahead. Um, keep going, guys. It doesn't just happen overnight. Theses are hard. It's it's a journey. It's a tough journey. But I tell you what, I look back and I'm glad I did it. And you're going to be there too. If other people have done it, there's no reason why you can't do it too. So best of luck for your journeys. And I um, yeah, I'm always here to help as well. And, and yeah, good luck, everybody. Keep working hard. It's worth it in the end. Thank you, Gabby. Appreciate that. And to everybody that joined us today, take action, follow the resources, click the links that we provided to you. Good luck. Somebody's submitting today. I hope we were able to help you. And uh, those of you submitting in a couple of months, hopefully we gave you some good foundational principles uh, on which to do your literature review. Guys, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everybody. Have a fantastic weekend ahead. Cheers, Gabby. Bye. Thank you.